Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 151. The last episode, uh, such as, I guess, the way of numbers was number 150. And uh, number 150 was we tried to sort of do a bit of an anniversary episode, have um, quite a notable guest on, and that notable guest was an Olympian. So those that follow athletics, those that follow the World Championships, Commonwealth Olympics and whatnot, have maybe heard of an Australian runner called Rose Davis. She runs a ridiculous 5K. She's at the Olympics. It would be pretty mental if she didn't. Uh, and yeah, just a fantastic story about someone that doesn't really think they're all that focused, but has literally no consideration on this planet apart from running. Um, so she's travelled the world running uh, and has no real plan for what happens after because she's so driven by it, which was really interesting. Um, our next episode, I'll be, I think it'll be the third or fourth in the sort of line of Nuffield scholars. For those that follow me, you know that I am um, now a Nuffield scholar, which is still a bit surreal. Uh, I still haven't been awarded um, been awarded the scholarship officially yet, uh, but there is another 22 of us as well, and I want to try and share their stories over the coming months. And that episode next will be Jock Gibson. I think I said a few days ago, or a few episodes ago, that Jock was coming up next, i.e. probably before this episode, um, but I had an issue, my power went off when we went to film and uh, we're now filming a bit later. So uh, Jock will be one of the other Nuffield scholars. I believe either one of two or three. I think there's either two or three of us from Scotland. There's one other person. I don't actually know where she's from, but I believe it's Scotland. Um, and obviously I'm from Scotland, so that will be quite interesting there. Today is another of the 2024 Nuffield class. Um, and what's quite exciting about this one is the fact that, well, I've arranged to film with every single person that's in this Nuffield class. Well, I think there's three people I haven't got in touch with yet because they haven't sort of made themselves known in, the, in our WhatsApp group yet. Uh, but this guest and I actually arranged to do this before and we met at the interview, which I'll say, I'll tell you what I'll say, I'll say about that later on. Um, but our guest today, I'll introduce you to them first, is David Tavener. David, would you like to say hello? Hello, yes, it would have been awkward if one of us got the Nuffield and the other one didn't, but thank you. Thankfully, we've both got the Nuffield Scholarship, which, again, for me, is uh, a complete honour to be involved with. Uh, and I can't wait to get started. I've I've done a bit of travelling in my life before, and this is just another opportunity to travel, but with purpose this time and actually go and visit the world. Um, looking at insect protein, which is my chosen topic, and that's what I do in my profession. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, formerly known as A-Plan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. I have started an insect farming business called Fly to Feed. It involves black soldier fly larvae, um, and you basically, you rear them on, they'll eat anything, so you rear them on food waste. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, they're considered extremely uh, sustainable because at the moment, if you didn't know already, uh, chickens and 
pigs in conventional farming would be eating a lot of soy protein, which is farmed in in the likes of the Amazon and other places in South America, where you know acres, thousands and thousands of acres or hectares will get burned down to make make way for soy protein. There's also other protein sources out there which are unsustainable, and black soldier fly larvae are seen as extremely sustainable. Can be created on home soil and uh, and fed locally, so you can you can utilize all of these kind of local ecos ecosystems and circular economies to to get there. But I've been I've basically been running this for uh, just over a year now, probably. It's all very early stages. I'm producing small volumes, but I've got big ambitions to get big. And there's a lot of there's a lot of investor ambitions as well and government uh, funding as well. So watch this space for us. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. And here we'll get into fly to feed uh, as we go along, David. Um, but it's always quite fun to sort of hear a bit about. We're obviously here to speak about that side of things, but what what's your sort of story before that? What was what was your story before getting into getting into owning this this company, Fly to Feed? Sure, yeah. Um, so I grew up on a dairy farm in West Midlands, Shropshire, which is happens to be where I am now. Um, back full circle, but I whilst I I learned loads from being on a dairy farm and being in the rural community and learning from my dad. And um, I always wanted to get out of rural Shropshire and go and live in the city and um, just have a Wi-Fi connection that worked. <laughs> because all my mates, they were watching these different TV shows and um, playing video games online and stuff. And it was just what I was interested in when I was when I was a teenager. Um, and I didn't, I couldn't have that because because simply we didn't have broadband in, in the ocean. <laughs> we had the, the horrible dial-up. Um, it wasn't just that. It was it was social life and things like that. So I, I went to, well, first of all, I went to Manchester and I went to something called the Peter Jones Enterprise Academy, which is run by the dragon from Dragon's Den, Peter Jones, or it was founded by him. And it was in the second year of inception, actually. Where there was only two academies i think there's quite a few now but it was focused on entrepreneurship and enterprise it was really really good i think because i got it in the early stages of its um life um and i, I yeah i just learned all about that kind of mindset and what what's required to um get to that to, to own your own business and have that energy and drive um from there i then went to i utilized zero of that enterprise and entrepreneurship and i went to university um i went to newcastle up north um studied agribusiness management didn't personally I, I didn't learn that much it was kind of like gcse and then a level business studies yeah. which i'd already done um i didn't gain much academically i don't think and if i was to say anything there I had a great time at uni and I made some really good friends and good networking and stuff like that. Um, but academically it wasn't great. And, and I could do everything that I think I'm doing now without the university education, although it did stand me in good stead and it got me a graduate job at Tesco, which um, I'll come on to in a bit. But I've, I've also, like I alluded to earlier, I've done a, a bit of traveling as well. It was a priority of mine in my early life or in my early twenties was to go out, go out, see the world. So I'd, I'd work jobs so that I could earn some money so I could go traveling. Um, 
I got a, a placement year, worked at Aldi for a year um, on their famed um, placement program. Um, yeah, that's that. impressive to get onto that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, it it yeah, it's super competitive and they pay really well, especially when you're just in a place. I think I was getting twenty five grand in Newcastle, where the rents are like basically like pennies. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, it was really good. I learned loads, but it wasn't for me. It was a culture that didn't really fit with me. Um, it was very sort of, um, how do you call it? You, you're a bit of a, you turn into an Aldi robot rather yeah, than, sure. rather than being, you, you don't have any freedom to express your own um, ideas because it's their ideas that they want <laughs> and they just yeah, want you to implement it. No creative allowance or anything like that. You just got Yeah, to exactly. Sure. Yeah. But then, you know, I appreciate them as a business. I learned loads from them in terms of that low cost approach. And, and that's kind of why they don't want the creative um, freedom, because they've got a formula that wins for them. And yes, it's sure. still winning to this day. So fair play to them. Great business. Just wasn't for me. So then I um, I utilized my experience in the, in the placement to get my uh, to get a graduate job for the following September was it anyway uh it was for the for so I had a year between university and starting my graduate job at Tesco on the buying program and 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 I I used that year to go traveling because I knew that I had a job to come back to and actually if there's anyone listening to this podcast who is at university I'd fully recommend doing it that way because you've got that plan for when you come back and you can kind of you can you can then go and splash all your cash if you wanted to traveling seeing the world having a really really good time because once you get into employment it can you can fall into that trap where you don't go and do all of those adventures that you might have a burning desire to do i would agree with that and i think i've found myself doing a lot of traveling now in my job with my job around my job and i'm probably lucky to be able to do that <laughs> I think had I stayed in the graduate position I had when I left, I would not have travelled at all because I'd be so focused on the job and they wouldn't let you really focus on being you and all that sort of thing that I would have struggled to do that. Um, a bit of a probably a question you didn't expect, David, but how does Aldi and Tesco compare working in the sort of position you were in? Uh, good question. So um, the positions I had, at Aldi was a work placement. The first, and that was broken, one year was broken into six months in store and then six months in various different roles in the office, getting a good idea for what the business is like. The Tesco job I had was in the commercial team, so it was buying all sorts of different um, products. I started in beer, which, you know, out of university, not bad when you're getting all this free beer delivered to you from around the world. Um, I had lo loads of friends in that job wanting beer, and then I left that for... Uh, table sources and I suddenly lost a lot of friends in the process <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have anyone running for mustard edge <laughs> <laughs> exactly um so that they were the the roles in terms of the difference the cultures were just incredibly different Aldi is extremely um they're quite cold you know it's ex their, their expectations are very very high at Aldi they do pay really well but um, like I said before, they like you to fit into their mould. Whereas Tesco, when I arrived there, I, I started trying to fit into the Tesco mould and 
and and quickly realize like why am i doing this they want me to express myself and actually have my own ideas so it took a while to get out of that kind of mindset um and yeah so they in a way they kind of teach you they they treat you like an adult at diff in in each business in their own way like aldi in the way that they throw you in the deep end and they they expect from you straight away um even if you've got no experience uh, which you know you get a lot of learnings from that because you have to learn quick yeah tesco um they they support you a lot more they when you're inexperienced or junior they have a manager there who is expected to take the flack if you make a mistake because you're still learning so there's two different schools of thought there and and i to be honest i think i i got on better at the tesco well i, I know i did because i stayed there for six years so for sure yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. and so you stayed there for six years what, what opportunities was there for you to progress i guess is what i'm yeah wondering. yeah um so i i started as a graduate buyer in beer and then i did another graduate position in table sources and then i kind of did a bit of a sideways experience gathering move at the same salary if you know what i mean <laughs> Um, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, um, you've getting a promotion, but it's, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Loads of responsibility, but no extra pay. Um, but it, I did that for about nine months in hot drinks, and then I got my promotion into fresh produce. So I always, coming from an agricultural background, I wanted to get into either fresh produce or uh, meat because I saw those as like, to me, they were the sexy buying areas, not beer, not all of, you know, that kind of stuff. It was the the hardcore raw material product which you're yeah. you know some days you are trading and i got that promotion into a buying manager there um in ambient veg which um in layman's terms is your carrots your um courgettes onions that kind of thing um, what's the ambience and, to those products out of interest what's that that, that, well um, ambient in supermarket terms is the storage temperature so it's chilled or ambient or frozen Ah, very good. Yeah. So, and, and ambient, like it's just you know you look at the shelf and then you, you don't see the carrots in the fridge. You see the carrots on just on on the the ambient shelf. Um, and then I moved into potatoes and chilled veg. Potatoes, you would you would you would know as an ambient veg, but they've got their own category. They're that big. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Potatoes are huge, and um, and then moved into chilled veg, which is like your broccolis and your um, cauliflowers, leeks, that kind of thing. Now um, you're you've moved from sort of beer to sauces originally, so <laughs> Corona to ketchup, um, and then you've progressed into sort of what you see is like the thing you want to be involved in from an yeah. background. Was it what you wanted to be involved in? Did it turn out to be the thing you liked? Yeah, yeah, I loved it. So it, there's there's quite a lot of different nuances to different buying roles within you know, buying, which is a speciality in itself. Um, with, um, what did you say, Corona to ketchup? I like that. Corona to ketchup, <laughs> that's, that's heavily branded. You know, you think Heinz, you think Corona, yeah. Stella, etc. cetera. Um, and you're kind of, you, you're dealing with brand ambassadors is, is what I'd call them, account managers. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're representing their brand in the, the in the arrangements and relationships they have with their customers, their, their customers, which would be Tesco yeah. commentators. Um, they're incredibly well-trained and um, they say the right things. They never say the wrong things. So it's kind of like, 
I, I found I found the conversations with those people quite boring actually. Yeah. When I moved into produce, you're often dealing with the owner who is a third generation farmer who's kind of taken his grandpa's and then grand and then dad's or mum's farm to the next level where they've got they've got a big big old pack house and they've actually expanded really well in selling selling packed produce to supermarkets but they haven't been on any negotiation training they haven't um they they don't own a proper suit or anything like that They're, so they really speak with their heart sometimes and it's that was that was quite good and, and you're also speaking to the decision maker as well so you can really get yeah. conversations moving quite quickly um the other thing that i really liked was that because you're dealing with raw material you're not you're not dealing with a very superficial brand um you're dealing with the humble potato or carrot and yeah. so you're actually you, you've got to sort out the supply more than more than the demand because you can't there's there's only so much you convince a customer to buy a carrot rather than sure. not. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. got a pretty stable demand apart from, you know, price fluctuations and things. But um with brands and beer brands, you know, there's a hell of a lot of marketing behind it and people buy into the marketing, not not the actual beer, for example. Yeah. Um so when you're a, a produce buyer, you um the supply is is the tricky bit. Yeah. Because you've You've got to make sure that your suppliers are the right people to deliver you the products, the best, the best quality products at the best price every day is is kind of the mantra. I never actually considered the difference from a buying perspective when you consider the elasticity of a product. Uh, yeah, and you're looking at carrots, you're not really gonna because you're buying a product that you don't really have much power over what you can sell. I mean you do well to sell me carrots more than they already sell themselves. I don't know how you could. Kevin the carrot with Lidl or Aldi, whichever one it was, did quite well actually. But uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> we we've got a cat toy of Kevin. Um, <sighs> wow, I've never, I've never, I don't think we've had someone on in graduate schemes and supermarkets. Do you know that? It's um, <laughs> it's it's such a massive part of food and farming and yet mm. when you hear like the second you said a graduate scheme at tesco i thought a graduate oh yeah of course um <laughs> because you think a tesco is not a graduate scheme Do yeah you know I mean? is that stupid yeah. maybe that's just me but yeah um, well i mean an, another when when a customer goes to the supermarket the average customer would have no idea where that's where that food comes from and probably frankly doesn't care because yeah, got sure. it, because the knowledge behind all of that and how it's got there is incredible whether it's the farmer whether it's the people moving it from farm to big warehouse or whether it's the retailers and all of that network or the scientists behind it um I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, the new name for A-Plan Rural. Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. Be sure to check out Howden Rural today. Simply sourcing... Um... Carrots is a bad example, but if you if you were to take berries because they're um, sourced all around the world, different seasons, and just simply trying to make sure that you have got um, berries on the shelf every day when 
let's say we're switching from the UK season into um, at the end of the summer when the berries are running out into Spain. Let's say we suddenly get some, uh, I don't know, uh, bad growing conditions where the UK finishes really early and then we have to move into Spain and Spain is not ready to start yet. Where do you get that from and how and and do you get it at the right price? Probably not because everyone's scrambling around to get that yeah. produce. So it's it's closing off those seasons and it, it's it, it's it's a bit of a puzzle at times, but it's quite I found I, I found that like the, the most um, I don't know interesting thing to get my head around. I'm pretty sure it would be quite fun. It's like oh my god, we need to yeah yeah um, yeah. So I'm just trying to sort of pick apart your time. So did you go to uni at like normal age or did you wait a wee bit? What age did you go? Um, yeah, so I went to that um, academy, Peter Jones Enterprise Academy. That was a year, wasn't it? I was one year in Manchester, yeah. and then I went to Newcastle after that, so I was yeah. 19, yeah. So, um, the, P- the Peter Jones thing's so random. That's Yeah, a, I know, yeah. Um, I think we kind of always forget. I always looked at the Dragons and for some reason thought Peter Jones was just the guy on the end. He's like the richest of them all. Um, yeah, and he's like the probably the most well-known now as well. Yeah, but you, I think at the start it probably wasn't. Um, probably not, yeah. He's he's actually he's super tall. Oh <laughs> yeah, I'm aware. Yeah, I met I met him and I shook his hand and his hand is just like massive, <laughs> and he's yeah he's huge. It was like intimidating in itself, but uh, yeah he's very successful and he yeah it, it's I think he wanted to do it because he it's his way of like giving back. Um, he's created these enterprise and entrepreneurship academies. I've no idea how many there are now, but. Um, yeah, I, I, it was it was brilliant. I learned so much more from that than I did from university, and it kind of, it, even though it was, you know, in theory and stuff like that, but we were getting taught by people who had actually run businesses before and stuff, and they they were just, you know, they, they might have been failed businesses or they might have been mildly successful, but um, they wanted they were in education now, so they were tutors, but with sort of background relevant backgrounds. What. I, I don't know if this is just common knowledge and maybe I'm missing out on something, but what is Peter Jones's original, like, he's minted, but yeah, what yeah. did he do? What was, is he just an investor, but you've got to have money to invest? Like, what, what does he do? Yeah, he. I, I can't remember what he did first. I remember, like, when I was, um, you know, before I went, I read his, like, autobiography or something. And I think he, like, by when he was, like, in his early 30s, he was bankrupt from his first business. Which oh, is really? insane. Yeah, he like yeah. completely went under and he was like, you know, had to start again. And then he and then he built this new business, which was, yeah, amazing. It's in telecoms, I think, is his main. That's right. Yeah. So it is. Yes. yes. That's right. Not not to be confused with the, um, I don't know if you go to London much, but the Peter Jones on Sloan Square. That I don't know what that is. to do with him. It's a big department store. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> He's not really nothing to do with that, no. no. Um, yeah, it's it's that that sort of investment business is very interesting to me. Like, just like you're you're almost making money off of other people's businesses, but you've also got to, it's like you're gambling consistently, um, and you don't actually have the money in your bank. Yeah, it's so surreal to me. It really is. Um, it's a really cool start that, but the, the thing I was trying to do what's that? Rarely, I don't watch it and watch it. I watch sort of good ones that are that make it to social media, but on TikTok. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's a question: um, 
we'll we'll get on. To, actually, I tell you what, I'll ask you that in a minute. Um, what I want to say is, you've done your three years, so twenty two, and then seven years in Aldi and Tesco. Well, and then a gap year. You've still got a few years left. What was in there? What else was in there before Fly to Feed? Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. So um, I got offered a, a job at a place called uh, Fancy, which then turned in it got acquired by a company called GoPuff. Um, so let's call Wait. it GoPuff. Basically, it was a um, quick delivery company, like grocery delivery company. So you, okay. if you've heard of something called Gorillas or Getir, it's basically that but with a different brand right. um this is obviously a, a rural based podcast yeah for the most part yeah yeah this the company i'm talking hyper urban <laughs> so it's, oh, right, it's okay. made yeah. the target audience of the podcast but um essentially it's like you go on your phone and you open up the gopuff app and then you order your groceries like the stuff sort of stuff you can get from tesco express um and they will arrive in 20 minutes on a little moped or something. This and it was on Dragon's Den, was it not? Uh, it probably had something similar to it on Dragon's Den, yeah. Because when, when I joined in 2021, yeah, it was late summer 2021, and, you know, there was loads of investment flooding into this area, and I thought, you know what, it would be cool to work in a startup and, and just yeah. apply my knowledge as a buyer to do exactly the same for, for this startup, but in a startup rather than a big corporation like Tesco. It's, you know, I've, um, I've got quite a entrepreneurial mind, I think. And so it's, it's quite a good way to step into that world a bit closer because in corporate, don't really apply those entrepreneurial yeah. skills at all. And uh, yeah, so I went there and it, quick, it got acquired quickly by GoPuff which is an American company doing the same thing, but they've got, you know, hundreds of stores over there. I'm sorry, I should explain the model a bit more. So it works on a dark store model, whereby if you live in a, a certain borough of London, for example, let's say Hackney, yeah. um, you order your groceries and they'll have like a little dark store, which is like un, under a railway arch or hey. it's a store where customers don't go in. Yeah. So, and it's like a little mini warehouse, and then you 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 put your order in, and then it pings through to the store, like a ticket in a kitchen, like a restaurant kitchen, and then the people in the store will run around preparing your order, just like in a restaurant kitchen, and then it will be ready, and then someone will like press the bell on the counter, and then the the groceries are ready to go out to the driver and deliver to your door. So it's kind of you know it's really really snappy and quick. Um, it was a great it's a great idea, but unfortunately it they couldn't really make it pay for itself. And they, they tried to acquire loads of customers through half price deals and um, like crazy marketing backed by a lot of venture capitalists cash, but the bottom line just didn't, it was never black, yeah. never ever black. And um, when March came around in 2022, I was still there. Um, it gone a bit sour, but uh, because of the, the merger wasn't great. And that's another thing I've, I've learned a lot about that whole whole process of cultures merging and it, it was a melting pot of negativity it was awful <laughs> yeah. Imagine. Um, yeah. and then uh march came along and putin marched over the border into ukraine yeah. uh 
And this was important because the investment market suddenly went from a bull market of positivity to a bear market where it's the investors are thinking, right, I need to put my cash in something super safe. Anything totally yeah. risky, I'm going to remove my cash from. And, you know, a company where it's relying on half price coupons to get their customers and <laughs> not not able to um, turn a profit on, on the day-to-day operations, that's super risky, despite the potential demand like future demand. So they they pull a lot of their cash and, and suddenly we went from a let's open one store every week to let's close one store every week and yeah. um and try and try and make a profit and raise loads of prices and suddenly customers gone and then and then long story short, because I've been yabbering away for a while now. Uh I've enjoyed they, listening to it. They started <laughs> making <laughs> They started making redundancies and I kind of said, yes, I'll, I'll be keen. So I took took a, 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 a decent package from them, despite only working there for less than a year. I, mean, I was, yeah, I was happy with that. That's lucky because um, some places don't even pay up two years. Yeah, it was a bit, exactly, yeah. I mean, there was statutory, I would have got sweet FA. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think it was more like a, here, take this money and don't bad mouth us, kind of thing. Aye, for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. So it was like a bit of a bit of a handshake, really, to to go quietly. And they did that to not just me, obviously, but um, a fair few other people. Uh, yeah. I haven't, it's not as if I'm going to go and bad mouth people like that. But <laughs> no, for sure, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so then I took I took that. Um, bit of a Brucey bonus and I thought I'll go and start my own business. So I've I've been thinking of this insect producing business for quite a while. And I don't know if you want to get me to go into the background of where it started or I'd love to. I'd love to hear this because this was yeah. going to be one of my questions. Yeah. Yeah. I've I think I mentioned to you in the two minutes we spoke uh, that I had done a wee bit of entomophagy, so sort of direct human eating yeah. insects. Um I'm a master's, just a project, nothing too major. It's always been on my mind. So yeah, what made you okay. go for it? <laughs> so, well, quickly, how so? How long have you been? How long has it been on your mind? Out of interest. Well, it's been on my mind, but I'm not exactly ever considered doing it. I did on my master's four years ago. It's been okay. Yeah, yeah. I speak about okay. it quite often, but I've never done much yeah. about it. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, it's entomophagy, which sparked my interest originally. So. Back in way back in 2016. So you remember when I said between university and Tesco, I went traveling. So I was in Mexico and um, walking down the street, sun was shining. And I saw this kind of it was like a big metal drum, which was sizzling away on the side of the street on a, on a stall. And this, um, this Mexican lady was frying a load of grasshoppers. They call them. Uh, chapelinas there in mexico okay and i went over and i thought wow that's interesting i've never seen bugs being eaten before and people yeah. were sitting there like sort of nibbling away at the, like well they buy them and then nibble away at them and i thought god that's that's gross you know that that's what we've been taught <laughs> as as westerners like eating insects is disgusting why would you do that so i was i was intrigued i went over and and i took bought some and tried them myself and uh, well initially i thought maybe it's like what the poor people eat it's really cheap or something 
uh, it wasn't. It's a lot more expensive than rice and, you, you know, you sort of staple foods. And, um, and then they tasted quite nice. They, they weren't too bad. And it kind of like made me think like, all oh, right, so if people here eat them, why don't we eat them? So I went back to the hostel um, that I was staying at, connected to the Wi-Fi and then just started searching this on 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 the Internet and got into a bit of a black hole. And, and then eventually over probably a number of uh, times looking at it, uh, realize that you can actually do it as livestock feed and not just human food. So in the years since then, I did actually, I tried to make some like insect burgers in the kitchen, but um, I don't know, I'm, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> I was pretty terrible. You know, they couldn't stick together and they were all a bit questionable and I didn't, didn't really enjoy it either. So uh, I lost a lot of interest. And then when I got made redundant from GoPuff uh, in 2022, that's when I was like, right, now's the time. And 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 yeah. the years leading up to it, my priorities were to go uh, to London. I had a lot of mates from uni who went to London. Um, go and have a good time there, etc. And I, I got to the point now where, so I'm 31 now, and um, I moved back to Shropshire when I was 30. And that's when I kind of thought, right, I've I've done I've done London now. I've got a good good share out of that. So. Um, haven't fun maybe it's time to actually put my head down and sort my life out of it and really follow something that I think I could be really passionate about and it's and that's kind of emerged as the case I'm I'm very passionate now about what I'm doing and because of all of the external benefits because I enjoy it as well I think the first question that always springs to mind to me in this is I'm taking. I take it we're talking about invertebrate insects because if we go into vertebrae, then we have a BSC issue. I assume. Uh it's so it, it's larvae. So, um, yeah, yeah. are they vertebrae? I don't know. I should know this. No, they can't be. No, they can't be. Huh? If vertebrae well, a skeleton. A skeleton. Yeah, yeah. Now they have exoskeletons. Yeah, so that's not a normal. Yeah, so. They're not, because in my head, if a, let's say a beef animal, if a beef animal eats a insect with a central nervous system, which I believe an exoskeleton isn't, okay. then that relay neuron's being ingested and you're leading towards BSE. So right. this is just, this is just, I could be completely wrong in what I'm saying here. It's just what springs to mind. But it's I love the idea of insects as, as livestock feed because, and I, I'll mention someone here that might be useful to you, David. Have you came across Lorna Pate? No, I haven't. Could be a useful person for you. Um, Lorna works with the company I work for and the consultancy and research side. And I can't remember the gentleman she works alongside who is currently looking into pretty much the exact same thing you are. Very similar. Um, maybe not the same fly, what was it, Black Soldier, I think you mentioned. Black Soldier, yeah. Yeah, I think it's more just generically. Um, but it's it's so interesting, man. It's, it's so interesting. And I really, I I think it's very, a positive future. I mean, when I was looking at, at the entomophagy thing, which is obviously a more direct thing, and your, your feed conversion is going to reduce because you're going through a, an animal such as, you know, cow, sheep, whatever. Um, 
from what I understand, from what I remember, like crickets in particular had a had a feed conversion of about one point one to one. As in, you give them a kilo, you get one eleven hundred grams back. Like that's insane. <laughs> it's insane. And if if we can make livestock feed hitting FCEs of that, that, that's amazing. So you've you've decided this is this is the question I have. You've you've walked past that place in Mexico. You've tried futile uh futilely tried to um, <laughs> to make burgers um in my head i think of a lot of things i'm like that'd be cool that'd be cool but i never sort of pulled the trigger and what made you really pull the trigger on this what made you think apart from the fact you know you're back you're out of london you're sort of you're ready to jump into something why was it this why was this the something yeah okay so i'll backtrack a bit and what I haven't mentioned so far is that I am in the British military reserves. So I'm in the army reserves as an infantryman. Okay. Um, I, and I, I, <laughs> I was in a, I was in the guards in London, the London guards, uh, Scots guards to be specific. Okay. Um, I'll pretend to know what any of this is because I absolutely do not. I was going to ask after. <laughs> people with the big hats. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, but I never wore that, unfortunately. Oh. If, if I stayed with them, and I'll come on to that, then I I would have been in the uh, King Charles's coronation. Oh, right, okay. Or but I would have had the opportunity to be in it. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm good about, to be honest. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 just even wearing that uniform and then showing, like, grandkids in the future, it's, like, it's pretty pretty me- mental. But yeah. anyway, yeah. so I was meant to be going to the Falklands. I signed up to go to the Falklands. This was when I was in the doldrums of working at GoPuff and really not enjoying it. And I got this opportunity to say, you can go to the Falklands for four months and um, and we'll pay your salary, basically, um, whilst you're there. So I thought, that sounds great. I get, get, yeah. I get, I get out of this hellhole GoPuff and go and run around the field in the Falklands with a weapon. Like, <laughs> and so... Um, I yeah I was signed up for that and then I won't go into the details but there was admin errors okay I, I won't say from whose side but not yours by it, the side it, of it. Yeah, yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I I didn't go and they somehow somehow I got the blame for it anyway um not bitter at all but I didn't go but at this point, I'd already taken the redundancy from GoPuff and I um, I was not going to the Falklands. And so that that date was suddenly coming around to say, right, Dave, you've got you've suddenly got this time now that you were supposed to be going for four months to the Falklands. And now you're not. What are you going to do with your life? And that's yeah. where I was starting to think, right, screw it, let's do it. So um, and I kind of that that was the moment, I think, when. I suddenly had to come up with a plan and, and I, I went for it. And, I, and when I still think now, having b- been brought up on a dairy farm and having that grounding of food production, but also understanding the supply chain and getting the contacts of the supply chain, but then finally having that year at GoPuff of learning how does a really, really snappy, sharp um, startup with lots of excuse me lots of investment behind it how does that operate so I, I feel like i've got a really really good mix of experience for this 
I would agree. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, well, it, I, I actually, before I ask you that, the next question, am I being ignorant in asking, is something happening in the Falklands currently? No, no. So um, background on the Falklands, it's an island just off Argentina. We, about 40 years ago, I think. Yeah, was 82, war. wasn't it? Was it 82? Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah, because they did the big anniversary last year, didn't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm aware of all that part, but I just didn't know there was stuff now. <laughs> yeah, no, so we, we still occupy it just in case anything happens. So, right. and, and it's it's a really big training area for the British military as well. They do a lot right. of, like, live, live round training um, because there's literally sheep and penguins there, and that is it. Yeah, for sure. Um, does, no one, does no one live there, no? They have a few people in fishing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and probably looking after the military. That's probably it, I would imagine. So and this is coming from someone that knows so little about military and politics <laughs> and whatever. Yeah. Why do we fight over it so much? Um yeah, I, I don't know. I think I this is from a educated guess, I'd say, is that we're either looking for oil from there or we're using it as an outpost because it's an island far away so we can if anything kicks off in the region then we've got that we've got that security there of, yeah, of an outpost. Yeah, yeah. yeah plus cheap and penguins what more could you want um, <laughs> <laughs> i know someone who was at a wedding at edinburgh zoo last week with penguins and it looked like heaven anyway um so yeah you're at this position you started up you're going. What stage is Fly to Feed at now? What stage? Sorry. Yeah. Where are you with it? Where are you? Yeah. So I'm. I've been producing since January this year. So only about ten months, I suppose. Yeah. But even that production level, I've only just set, started selling really, uh, and I'm right. selling to the local chicken farmer, and that's because I've, I've been, I've been, I've basically been learning how to do it since uh, since January. It's it it's been a lot harder than I expected. So uh, to explain a bit of the process, you basically, well, I'll try. I'll, I'll I'll explain the full process in brief terms. Uh, but yeah. you basically you get the the eggs that. So I'm breeding them as well, and I had my my starter stock of eggs, and that's now feeding into the whole cycle of breeding as well. But you take you extract the eggs. Uh, and you dose them out and you put them in the feed and like I said before they'll eat pretty much anything that's not super fibery or bones right. and so you'll feed them like local food waste um, they'll eat you'll keep them in the box for just less than two weeks and at the end of without touching them and then after those two weeks you can separate them and the two products that come out of them you've obviously got the live insects which are which can be fed to chickens and are um, very high in protein and very nutritious. And then the other product you get is called frass, and that's basically the insect manure. But it's the frass is quite interesting as well because that can be spread, you know, as a soil amendment and a fertilizer. Um, but what's interesting about them, other than about that, other than the fact that it has got you know quite high nutrition when you look when you talk MPK and things like that, but it's also got something called chitin, which is found, it's a chemical found 
in the exoskeleton of the insects. It's also found in things like shellfish, right. um, because they're quite similar to insects. Um, and the chitin is a natural insecticide. So when you spread it on crops or plants, the plant will basically think there's insects about because they can detect this chitin. And the plants will then start to some some sort of enzyme in the plant would form a natural defense for the plant. So it doesn't kill insects, so it doesn't kill biodiversity, but it deters them. Wow. So you yeah. mean, that's that's massive. It's huge. And and there's a wow. lot of there's there's so much um there's there's there, there's a lot of people, organizations and governments banking on insect protein being the savior of our food system but i i can't tell whether it's the protein or the frass that's going to be more important because you could i don't know, have you been to groundswell farm the no, regenerative I, I, need to, farm? I need to yeah i haven't yeah yeah so i i i went last year it was a bit of a last minute decision i um if I'm being completely ignorant, which I was, I thought, God, this is going to be a bit of a hippie fest and there's only going to be a few, few people there celebrating um, celebrating, you know, soil and things like that. I got there and there was probably, I'd say, about 5,000 more people there. Loads of stands. The people there were super forward-thinking. There was loads of young people. I was completely, completely taken aback by. No, it's amazing. I think like that's yeah. it was. It was so good, um, and it made me think. Shit, this is actually a real movement. It's not. It's not like a little fact. This is. This is here to stay, and it's happening. It's really made me think a lot more about things like frass and the uses, because it's an obviously it's an organic fertilizer compared to those the chemical for fertilizers, which is very anti-regenerative farming. I've I've got two people that I need to mention to you because I think. They'll yeah. be up your street as do you know Dr. Claire Whittle? Um, I don't think so, no. Dr. Do Whittles or anyone on Instagram. It's a genius name. <laughs> um she's the vet, but I've had her on the podcast. She's an off-field scholar, actually. Um right. she, she did her off-field on dung beetles, uh slightly away from what you're doing, but an interesting one. And then another person, you heard of Josh and Abby Heineke? No, I haven't. I need I need to uh, access you. Uh, your address, uh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Dear, this is just folk I've had in the podcast, man. Um, oh, nice. Park Carreg. If you're Park. Shropshire, it won't be miles away from you. So Park, as in P-A-R-C, and then Carreg, C-A-R-R-E-G. Um, Josh and Abby, much like yourself, were in London, and a bus went past Josh. <laughs> he was bo- he was bored of the rat race, and it was something about how you could get a farm in in Wales, or land in Wales, and they just thought, "Fuck it, let's go for it." <laughs> and, it and they went they went to try and be the first organic duck farm in the UK, and uh, they did, and then they were about to have a pretty major, I guess you call it a breeding egg contract. You know, not eggs for eating eggs for breeding and they yep. this major contract sailing out to Greece and they got the opportunity to check their eggs for salmonella. Now they didn't know this and they thought, oh well that seems good. We'll we'll be salmonella negative, whatever, and this will be better for us. Apparently in duck eggs, about 90% of duck eggs have salmonella. It's just a very brief uh, content, but it doesn't really matter. Right. It's just 
culturally accepted. Uh, sorry, standard accepted, not just culturally accepted. And uh, that just wiped their business. <laughs> so oh, wow. they yeah. um and they had a lot of crowd support and they had a lot of and there were I think it was one of those ones that was like once this contract's done, like we've we've done it, we've made it. Um but that fell through unfortunately. So they now work in worm casts. So similar to your I've forgotten the word. Um Black Sultifice. Uh, no, the 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 the, the larvae manure. Frass, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's like, like grass but with an F. Yeah, so that's basically the, the worm version of this, I guess. The manure yes. of the worm. Yeah. That's what they're now working on. Worm casts. So uh yeah, that could be an interesting one for you as well. Um maybe. <laughs> uh, and yeah, they, they yeah, use yeah. they use their, their worm as 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 protein for chickens as well. So yeah. Uh, well there's there's certainly opportunities for making different blends out of you know, for your fertilizers, for your organic yeah. fertilizers. And just using the benefits of each having like some collaborations between different insects. <laughs> that chitin thing though man, that's um that's revolutionary. That kind of it's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Because I, I think we're looking at this thing of issues where you're and I always say the wrong thing like with this cabbage cabbage stem flea beetle causing bother with the oilseed rape. I mean we just have an inability to have oilseed rape emerge at the minute because these wee guys really? just them. yeah it's a major issue and i think um companies like kws which is one of the the seed breeders for you for oilseed rape offered yeah. a thing where you can pay 50 percent for your seed and then if they emerge you pay 100 percent. so they're they know it's difficult yeah so they're very proud of their product that is working it's that yeah. bad it's decimated as a break crop so yeah. people are just chucking insecticides out at them to kill everything now i don't yeah. know what insecticides yeah, are. Yeah. I don't, i'm not good on crops but um if you could kill if you no sorry if you could prevent things from killing your crops and keep biodiversity man that's huge that's massive yeah. from yeah. the obvious perspective natural economy perspective but also from a subsidy perspective oh um, huge yeah huge that's that's here man that's so cool that's probably blown me away yeah i probably come on here expecting to talk about like feed conversion rates and stuff like that i just <laughs> that. I haven't got onto that yet wallace <laughs> yeah well here let's get on to that let's get on to that right. why else why else um so you know when i was saying i was explaining the process how they you get the you get the larvae and then you get the frass so before that the growth in two weeks so this is this is mind-blowing right the the rate of growth of a black soldier fly larvae from just under two weeks is five thousand times its size so <laughs> let me put this into perspective you, you, you've got a kilo of larvae you've if you feed them if you feed them the right amount um of uh yeah you get let, let's say you have you have a rabbit yeah of larvae. yeah two weeks time that'll be an elephant that's, that's so i was going to say there you have a kilo of larvae you have five ton and i thought no that's a lie that can't be true yeah, yeah. that's what yeah and 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 what so that's so that's much, you must have some how much inputs are you putting in for that? Uh, so the the feed conversion ratio at the moment I'm, I'm working on something like six and a half seven. Um, I'm I'm collect, I'm trying to collect as much data as I can. Um, the the literature of what I've re read 
is that it, you can get it as far down as like two, but it will probably be a formulated feed um, or one and a half. But it, yeah, it will be a formulated feed because the, the problem with black soldier flies, um, I wouldn't call it a problem, is that you're feeding it food waste. So it, it very much depends on what access to food waste you have. So brewer's grains is a really, really good um, material you can use because it's got super high, well, it's super available around and it's got high... Is it quite expensive though or not? It can be expensive, yeah, because you're competing with a lot of like cattle yeah. feed for it and farmers. And it's high, but sorry, I cut you off there, David, it was just expensive. You said it was high in something. Uh, it's quite high in protein, um, yeah. brewer's grains are. Uh, so that, that leads into creating good protein from the bugs because the bugs are like you know you are what you eat and so you have to eat a lot of protein and you come out with a lot of protein i mean the other the other outputs you can kind of you can break down the insects themselves uh, so they're not live and you can extract the protein and you, you can extrude the oil the oil can be used in all sorts of like biodiesel and um, even like sustainable air uh, aviation fuel and you know if, if they're doing research at the moment i saw on like uh, it was in the bbc few months ago of pigs uh the pig pig oil being used in or pig fat being used in aviation fuel sustainably right but then but then if you think what are you flying doing? pigs literally sorry if pigs can fly <laughs> yes <laughs> brilliant i love that um and you get uh i mean pigs what what are you feeding pigs to make that sustainable air, aviation fuel if you're feeding them soy it's not yeah. sustainable um but then if you feed them insects, why not just bypass that and feed, feed, use the insects for aviation fuel? I'm going down a bit of a rabbit hole here, but the, the fact that with insects, you can grow them vertically and they grow they grow super fast, as I explained, the time and the, and the, um, the land mass is just, just tiny compared to soy or fish meal or, or traditional livestock or agriculture in general. So the amount, I mean, in agriculture, you're talking seasons, like years yeah. to, to turn over a product. With black soldier flies, you're talking weeks. Yeah, well, you're talking two weeks to turn exactly. to turn 200 grams into a ton. Exactly. Like that, that I can't compute that. It's it's I think I'm quite good with numbers, but Jesus. Yeah, but then when you, when you feed them food waste then we we as a species uh human race waste yeah in fact guess you might know it but guess how much food waste we as a globe or as a world waste is it 34 percent? i think yeah yeah so yeah. yeah okay either a good guess or you know it well i, um, I do have a master's in food security so it'd be, oh, right, there you go, <laughs> it'd be pretty yeah. embarrassing if i got correct. that one wrong <laughs> <laughs> correct and <Ten> points <laughs> and um, so we we waste a third of our food and all of that obviously if it goes to landfill it's terrible we do have ways to uh, channel that back into like anaerobic digestion to create energy for example but i mean insects can create a lot more value out of that waste than anaerobic digestion so it's only a matter of time before you start funneling it through to insects however you can again i'm going into a bit of a rabbit hole I, no, as you can, continue, I, can I can talk about this for days but there is potential partnerships with anaerobic digestion where you could use the digestate to feed the insects and then get protein out of it or the other way you could you could take the frass and put the frass into anaerobic digestion 
So there's there's lots of different synergies there. And this is actually what I'm kind of lucky to do my Nuffield on is small scale setups where you can create circular economies within diversifying your farm, whether it's through anaerobic digestion, whether it's through sourcing local food waste, whether it's your own food waste, and then it feeds back into the chickens because you've got multiple different mixed farming outlets. Do you, out of interest, need anyone to join your startup? <laughs> I'm so interested by this, man. Yeah, I do, actually. I'm, I'm kind of thinking about my next hire well my first hire now actually um yeah it's it's i'm i'm pretty excited for it so I'm, i'd hope that i'd be able to um rub that excitement off on someone else if they wanted to join but here you're the second nuffield scholar in nine episodes to have my my head frozen about insects um who was the first one clear well uh that i mentioned there okay um, yeah yeah. yeah. So, yeah, okay. right, <laughs> the digestive thing being fed, and then also the frass being used to run it—that's perfection. <laughs> and then you also have this frass coming off to be utilised as an insecticide. Well, not an insecticide actually, because side means kill. Insect yeah. repellent, I guess. Is that what you would call it? Uh yeah, yeah, probably. Basically, smidge. Um. And then, jeez, I'm taking so back by this. this the, the, the best way to look at it, I, I, I quite like this one. In life or food production that we've been practicing for a long time, and we've got better and better at this terrible practice, is very linear food production systems. So you grow the crop, you, you feed the crop to the animal, you, you eat the animal and then you shit it out or you don't eat the whole animal and you waste the bits, the offcuts. Yeah. And that that then kind of goes into either the sewage or into landfill. It's very linear. It's, it's, it starts starts at one point and, and finishes miles away at the, the other yeah the we road. don't eat the landfill yeah it's done <laughs> point to point exactly, sure. exactly. Yep. um whereas this is uh this is basically the natural form of doing things so it's what insects do in nature they they recycle food or they they upcycle it so um let's say the king of the the king of africa the the lion dies mm -hmm. it then kind of gets eaten by little insects or decomposes with all sorts of bacteria and fungi into the soil the insects get eaten by the rest of the food chain and then it, it gets it makes its way back up to the lion again the lion dies and, and you know there's a cycle there that's what i'm trying to replicate in our agricultural food systems to create a cycle so that when we waste our food, we give it to insects to then feed back in, to to bioconvert that food into a super nutritious protein and plant food to feed back, back in that we will eat again in the future. Do you see a direct entomophagal model here or is it just going into livestock? Say that again. Sorry. Do you see... 
do you see us eating the larvae? Um, or maybe maybe not as larvae, maybe as a, a protein powder, for example. Yes, I, I, I do. Um, I don't think it's my job, personally, to... Uh, or I, I'm not willing to take that on. I think that's a monumental task. It's... A perception it, thing. Yeah, humans eating insects, to me, it's... The key is not so much in the production of them; it's it's the marketing, and I'm I much prefer the food production side of it personally. Must be my dairy farming background. Marketing is not my particular cup of tea. For sure, um, because you've got, to, you've got to like persuade, you've got to persuade people to eat an insect, and then, like I said earlier, insects are disgusting, right? Why would you eat insects? <laughs> but. but you know, when you get back, I mean, me personally, I I wouldn't mind, but the average show on the street, that's who you've got to convince the the mass market, right? And I get that is the biggest challenge with direct insect consumption, uh, hugely. Um... I would fully back whoever whoever tries to do it, and potentially yeah. supply them in the future if if larva, black soldier fly larvae is the chosen one for their particular product. I've had salt and vinegar crickets. Before. How were they? Uh, I preferred salt and vinegar potato crisps. <laughs> <laughs> and that's someone that when they try something different wants to make a point of saying they like it more. I have to admit, it wasn't brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't see us ingesting insects as, oh, there's the legs, there's the head. I see us ingesting them as a powder, as a whatever, as an additive to a product. Um, maybe as a gravy, for example. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's a shout. Black shoulder fly bisto. Um, Put that in your chest. My head's just flying now, man. I'm just thinking of a million things. I won't sleep <laughs> because it'll just be... Uh, oh, I'm so glad we arranged this. This feels weird. <laughs> this feels like the fact we met for two minutes and suddenly we'd organised. It feels like it was a reason. Yeah. Um, my head is going a million whatever. Yeah. Jeez. I'm it's, just so focused on that the the insect repellent idea and the idea of a circular economy and wow I'm it, impressed it, honestly it ticks every box I I can't believe how it hasn't been done before um I'm 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 super stoked to be in the industry in the very early stages so one thing I should mention actually about the industry if you're interested is um one second sorry about that um, yeah had a visitor to my room um <laughs> and uh where was i yeah so i'm what was I saying? Oh, yeah. You mentioned so, said one yes, thing about the one industry. Of, one of the challenges at the moment that I should mention about the industry is the regulation. So, um, and this goes back to BSE, there's a lot of legacy from it. So, uh, for those, I guess, listeners who wouldn't know, when BSE happened, it was when cows, and correct me if I'm wrong, Wallace, um, it was when a lot of cows were eating offcuts of meat and offal and things like that and it was yeah, causing like bone meals and stuff like that yeah, yeah. it was causing um, basically the cows to go mad hence the name mad cow disease 
uh, and there was a there was a scare that this could be zoonotic, so it passes to humans when you eat meat. And this decimated the meat industry. No one wanted to buy meat, so there was drastic action had to happen from the government, and they had to. They basically said, "Right, that's it. No processed animal protein can be fed to livestock." Just, just no research went into it. They just said, "Right, we need to, we need to get the consumer confidence back," which was the right thing to do at the time. This still exists in the regulation, so therefore you can't feed. Uh, you can't feed insects because they are classed as an animal protein. You can't feed them to livestock when, uh, unless they're live, counterintuitively. Unless so you, they're live, because then they're, they're not technically processed. Then are they? Because they're live, so they're just an animal protein. It's a loophole in the regulation, but it, it's yeah, allowed. Yeah. And and Europe, who also you know we were part of the EU twenty odd years ago when BSE happened, and so it was EU wide legislation which came into play. Um, they since in the last few years or last couple of years they've changed their legislation so they do allow processed animal protein back into the supply chains if it's insects because they realise the part that insects can will and are playing now. Um, so Europe has a bit a larger industry because the regulation has eased for them. Um, whereas we're lagging behind the EU. Um, the other legislation which is restrictive in the UK and EU is um, what you can feed to insects as a feedstock. So you, you can't feed them slaughterhouse waste, you can't feed them post-consumer food waste. So like a restaurant chucks out some food, can't use that. Uh, I chuck out some food from my kitchen, I can't use that. Um, I think because you can't really control what consumers and small restaurants do, how they how they separate their waste. Whereas with like big food factories, uh, it's, it's a lot more tightly controlled and regulated. Mm -hmm. So you can use, and then the third one you can't use is uh, manure. So you can't, you, you would have seen if you walk through fields and stuff, insects love shit. You go up to a they cow, they, you go to a cow pat and there'll be, in, there'll be flies there, laying their larvae there, uh, eating up all of the nutrition from that cow pat. Um, it's the same in in my uh, business. Is that they would love it, but you can't you can't feed them that if they are going to go back into the food chain. Um, so what I feed them is things like a uh, brewer's grains, which is a byproduct of the beer brewing industry. Uh, you can feed them dairy waste, um, but the main one is fruit and veg. Uh, right. or, or bakery waste from factories really because it's it, it's before it hits the consumer's shelf uh, or, or kitchen so um that's that's a big restriction as to what you can and can't do because there is quite a big value on things like fruit and veg waste because it does get fed to into um livestock quite quite readily uh, in places so you're kind of competing for that price and it also gets fed into anaerobic digestion as well. Um, but then I've also, I've spoken to someone, right? And this is quite interesting. So um, the chick, let's say, let's say we've got all of the waste in all of the food waste in the country and we amalgamate, amalgamated it together. Even the post-consumer food waste, all of the slaughterhouse waste, everything, all food waste um, in the country. If you put that all together, 
and fed that to black soldier flies, we still wouldn't be able to replace soy entirely from our agricultural supply chain. So feeding soy to chicken, really? pig, etc. No, because we don't have enough ways for that. So even if we wanted to create to to solve the problem of cutting down the Amazon's rainforest to make make way for soy fields, we wouldn't be able to do it with, unless we plant our own soy to feed to the insects ourselves, which is ridiculous. That's you wouldn't do that. So there's lots of research going on at the moment as to can we feed safely and effectively manure to insects? Accessible. Pardon? My laptop just spoke. Sorry, keep going. I don't know what <laughs> <laughs> um, So can, can we safely and effectively feed manure to insects and then convert that in, into the insect, which is a good protein, as I've said? Um, and so there is research going on going into that because if you can do that then you've suddenly got huge huge pits of slurry mm -hmm. all over the country readily available in these tiny little communities feed it to an insect give it to a chicken that's that's the supply chain it's it's that's a tiny, tiny supply chain but it is something that really could work at such a low cost as well and so there's loads of research going into that and again that's what I'm going to be looking at in my Nuffield because in Africa they don't have regulations like this and they 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 go down to the local market get all of the shit from there and <clears throat> um uh and and feed it to their insects to then feed to their chickens or their fish or wh whatever it might be that they're growing I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2 cast with another really interesting guest I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. So, David, I could sit here and talk to you about insects probably for about five hours, but um, I, I brought you on to speak about Nuffield. We obviously know what you're doing with the insect side of things. You mentioned Africa there. Where have you pinpointed to be going with Nuffield? Yeah, okay. Um East Africa, Kenya, Uganda, um, Rwanda, and Tanzania. I can give you some really good contacts in Rwanda and some pretty good ones in Tanzania if you want. You I mentioned, help, yeah. Yeah, help you with that. So Yeah, that would be awesome. Delving very deep into your contact book here, Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few. <laughs> yeah, 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 you sound like a useful guy. <laughs> um, and then heading over to... Uh, southern Af Africa, potentially something like Zimbabwe. I mean, it's all it's all fairly loose still. Um, but what I do know is that the continent of Africa loves producing insects. I mean, we we um, we produce them. We're we're looking at doing it to satisfy our sustainability ambitions. The Africans yeah. to satisfy their own like cost and business ambitions because they can do it naturally there. It's the right environment for them and to do it without like a um, controlled atmosphere or anything like that. Anyway, going back into insects, and then <laughs> I can't can't help myself, can I? No, nah, you're um, well, I get it. <laughs> and then, and then North America. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've got an interesting business that I want to go and view called Chapel Farms in uh, Portland, Oregon, and then there's right. a couple of places in over the border in Canada that I'm interested in, uh, and then bits around Europe as well. 
um, people I can speak to, hopefully. Amazing. What about you? Where are you going? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, pinpointed places in my application were Japan, Singapore, Holland and Switzerland. Wow. Um, I think I'm going to add New Zealand into that. I've got quite a few people that want to get involved sponsoring me, which is nice. Uh, I've put out some feelers. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Okay. On top of on top of my sponsors, the McRobert Trust. Yeah, that. Be- I think Uganda and Kenya have been added to my list, though. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I fell in love with that part of Africa, man. And I just yeah, don't yeah. Want to do it. Um, yeah, it looks amazing. Did you do anything? What did you do when you're out there? So Tanzania, were there. Have you heard of 4-H? Heard of 4-H ever? You might know of. No. Nope. Uh, 4-H is the biggest youth group on the planet. Um, there's more 4-H members in the States than there is people in Scotland. Uh, wow. So, yeah, biggest youth group in the world. And SEYFC, which is Scottish Association of Young Farmers Clubs, I am the National Vice Chair of Communications and Marketing. So wow. um, I went with them. We sort of are affiliated unofficially with 4-H to the Global 4-H Food Summit in Tanzania. We were there for a week. And then we went to sign a three-year partnership as SDYFC with the Rwandan Youth Agribusiness Forum, where most of the contacts are uh, in Rwanda. So, yeah, that's where I was there for. Uh, what did yeah. you look, which country did, was your favourite out of those yeah, ones? Hands down, Tanzania. Arbitrary question. Hands down, Tanzania. Really? Now, the reason for that is I'm sure you're aware of what happened in Rwanda in 94. Um, major genocide where 14% of their population was killed by themselves. Um, it was basically uh, one clan was sort of seen as the, the, the less popular, if you will. And if you were part of that tribe... Um, you would be sat at the back of the room and looked down upon and whatever. And their way, understandably to a point, was to revolt. Um, but their method of revolution was 97 days, killing 14% of Rwandans. Um, so, yeah, a completely solemn country. And I've been fascinated by it ever since I heard about it. And I went there knowing that it had been a very progressive country. But I could never, I, w- I was so shocked as to how phenomenally progressive it was from a political perspective, from a cultural perspective, from an inf- infrastructural perspective. It just felt like you were in London or New York with sand. Um, really? Yeah, phenomenal. Like you, you'll be so, if you read into the history of Uganda in the last 29 years, when you land in Kigali, you will be mind-blown. There was, there was like a national PTSD for obvious reasons. Everyone was affected. I mean, the guy who we're really good friends with, shout out Regis, uh, one of his parents was killed in it and he openly told us about this. Wow. And yeah, it was, um, we went to Kigali Memorial, Memorial Museum. I'll send you a video of the podcast if you're interested when I sort of talk about it and it just hit us hugely. But <laughs> I mean, Rwanda's completely landlocked. It has everything against it. And it is one of the most flourishing countries in Africa. Um, wow. Tanzania, fourteen hundred and sixty-eight kilometers, I think it is, of, of land of of a coastline. Um, pretty bustling tourist environment from the um, safari perspective, uh, and just nothing progressive about it. Just so far really? behind. Yeah, and almost wow. regressive. Um, they don't 
they openly say they don't really want to educate their kids because they might go and do better elsewhere. Um, but I loved every person in that country. It was just the most positive thing on the planet. And I just, I've never felt so at home. I, I don't know if you follow me on social media, but today I put a post up that I've just signed up as a financial donor to a um, a primary school that I went to there, um, a primary school oh. orphanage place. And, yeah, signed up as a, What's that? Congrats. No, nah, I don't see it as that way. I just see it as like if I can give them what's the price of God an iPhone that we throw around all the time for a year, yeah, yeah. then and that helps. That's that's got to help. So that gives one kid basically everything they need for the year. But um, yeah, Tanzania changed me. <laughs> it really did. Wow. Um, okay. Rwanda did as well. No, I do, man. It's it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, a phenomenal place. I can give you some contacts. They might not be as helpful as the Rwandan ones, but um, Rwanda will be. I'm sure I can get you people that that anyone you need in Rwanda. In fairness, I probably yeah, could. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk at the Nuffield yeah. conference. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But here, your Nuffield sounds really interesting, man. It really does, and um, I appreciate you coming on to talk about it. I literally could sit with you here. We're sitting at what I don't know half nine. I could sit with you here till midnight, and I've got a feeling. I've got a feeling. Um, at the Nuffield Conference, you and I might have a chat for some time. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get ourselves a couple of drinks and uh, yeah. um, so maybe maybe some form of a cricket beer or something like that will work out. Um, yeah, no, good stuff, man. I appreciate your time, and I'm glad we did come across each other because even if you know, even if we both became scholars, grand, this would have happened. But I feel like. I feel like there's a reason we met for two minutes in that little office. So uh, yeah, 100%, 100%. I'm glad, glad we're both successful. Glad we'll be in touch for longer. But there is two questions. I think you said you'd listen to one episode, but unfortunately it wasn't a food and farming episode. So you won't know the two questions I'm about to ask you. Okay. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> one's horrible. One is horrible. I hate it. Uh, the first one's the one I hate. The first one's where do you see yourself in five years, which is quite interesting given you're a startup. And uh, the second one is if you had any tips for folk coming into farming, what would they be? Okay. Um, the first one, where do I see myself in five years' time? Mm-hmm. I'm already, even though I've only been in the industry, the insect industry for a year, I know everyone in the insect industry, more or less, in the UK anyway. Yeah. And I, I don't want to sound too cocky or arrogant there, but what I want to say is that it's a small industry. And I think in five years' time, God knows how much I can grow with with investment and things like that. But I want, I, I, I'll quite openly say that I want to be in that leadership group of people in the insect industry um, for my own reasons of developing a successful business and fulfilling that ambition but also for progressing what i believe is the right thing to do with going forward with the food industry um have i got any tips for anyone getting into agriculture so um my well my my girlfriend is um so she's she's from staffordshire but she lives in london and she has got that she loves food uh, and she really wants to get into kind of agri tourism or okay. that, that kind of that kind of world and she's always had this sort of ambition but never known how to get into it so it's quite that question is quite relevant and she hasn't got any agricultural experience she's from the town of stafford and she's lived in london um 
she works in creative uh, design, essentially. Uh, and she she's reading quite a lot at the moment and she's getting herself out there to different agritourism places and speaking to a lot of people. One, yep. I think one thing, one thing people should know about farmers or agriculture is that a lot of people are really, really willing to talk. So reaching out to people, finding the right people through different um, networks, whether it's, you know, looking for people on Nuffield, for example, everyone I've spoken to at Nuffield, even before I was accepted onto the scholarship, just asking them about certain things, reading their report, which by the way, is really readily available for anyone online. You can read people's reports and it's got their contact details on so you can contact them. And I think, you know, with agriculture, it's very much a see it, feel it, smell it kind of industry. Whereas a lot of, I don't know, if you talk about finance or something, it's very much what can you do on a computer really well. And so you don't don't actually have to go out there. So speaking to people is super valuable. Going out there, seeing different farms, whatever farm you want to get in there, get into is that's the key and people generally are quite open to you visiting if you've got the right intentions i think so that's that's probably my main tip is just go out there and see people no that's a good one and um one maybe person that might be useful for your girlfriend or your partner anyway um is a caroline miller uh i think yeah she's reached out to her actually Yes. she's enough of a scholar yeah she is so she is yes. I forgot about that um i completely i don't even i don't think i would have remembered that had you not said it oh, really? um, yeah. yeah no good no good tips that, and that one the one person from your address book wallace who i do know <laughs> what I have heard of is not even to do with insects it's to do with what my girlfriend wants to do <laughs> You know, I don't have that good an address book. Uh, <laughs> in fairness, um, started seeing someone recently, and uh, you will meet her in November. Um, but uh, <laughs> I had asked her to like, I was like, um, I was brushing my teeth or something like that, and I'd asked her to check someone's number for me to make sure I had it my contact list. And she'd scroll to the bottom, and she was like, "How many contacts do you have?" And I'm like, "I don't know that many." And then I looked, and I was like. <laughs> Jeez, I did not realise that this many folk. <laughs> this podcast alone, I've filmed over 150 folk. You know, that's oh, okay. 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 Um, okay. good way to meet someone. You should start a, an insect pod. You should call it. Um, oh no, it's not. It's it's the worms or the the worm cast. Uh, oh, the worm ca- oh, that's a good one. Well, I have I have thought about um, starting a new TV show, and I'm the star character. I'm, I'm called Heisenberg. Heisenberg, love it. That's fantastic. I'll wear, like, I'll wear a little uh, top hat and I'll keep keep the mustache, obviously. And I'll be working away in my shipping containers, rearing these insects, and no one quite knows what ha- what happens in there. Just like Heisenberg. Well, you could have quite a cool title because if you're looking at utilizing manure, manure has been at one point grass, and you could say what came first, grass or grass, and then you mm. could yeah. You work that yeah, way. I like that. I like that. <laughs> no, yeah. man, it's been a pleasure. Really do appreciate your time. Yeah, as well as.
time sort of flies by and you're having fun. We've probably been speaking, yeah, speaking for the best part of an hour and a half. And for those listening, we actually started speaking longer ago than that, but I forgot to hit record. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got through three coffees in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's just to stay awake speaking to me. Um, the yeah, for those of you listening, I appreciate you coming along. As always, a really interesting episode there. Uh, I fair enjoyed that myself. And I actually meant to say, I did say this when I recorded earlier, or didn't record earlier, but um, I mentioned that episode number 150 was with an Olympian. And that that podcast with Ed, the All In series, is we, we both very much like sport, and it seems to become <laughs> somewhat of a sport episode. And we've got an episode coming up that's quite exciting um, with uh, a European Cup winner. So they have won what is now the Champions League in football um, and that very good, I guess, 80s Liverpool team. Um, I won't say who yet. Uh, We'll leave that up to yourselves to find out soon enough. Um, That's quite exciting. On that All In series, we've also got, um, if if you've seen Sex Education, the show, uh, someone from that um, is also in, uh, what is the programme called? I will talk loudly for a second until I find out. Vigil. He's in that as well. So um, are you a fan of that, uh, David? I think I know who you're talking about. Was he also in SAS Rogue Heroes? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, went to school, I went to school with Chris and uh, let me just quickly check. Um, I'm just clicking on his IMDb. He has done uh, Sex Education, Karen Petty. Oh, um, Ignore me. Wallace. He's been in a lot of stuff, man. He's been in yeah. a lot of stuff. Wow. He's just sort of making it. He's only a year older than me. Um, okay. He's just getting there, so that's quite exciting. That all-in series has become really fun. Obviously, food and farming is where my passion is and where the podcast started and how you guys started listening, but I'd sort of hit that ceiling from a view perspective, and I was sitting in the pub one day having a chat with someone about um, what were we speaking about? It was the most random thing. Which back to my point anyway, it was very random and it made me think this would be class to talk about. Um, so we've started bringing on loads of people. So all in series is going well as well. Um, there's someone else interesting come on, but I can't remember who. Oh, yeah, someone who has cycled from Mexico to the bottom of Chile. Um, they made the bike out of bamboo and uh, on the way, they uh, were doing lots of different, um, what would you say? Not seminars, but sort of work with communities as she went, looking at environmentalism. Very interesting person who I haven't yet met. I have never literally spoken to. Um, However, I did spend 1,200 miles in a pickup with her brother going to Ukraine last week. So, uh, yeah, quite a good episode coming there. Um, But as always, this has been a really long outro. But um, as always, thank you very much for listening. And we shall see you for number 152. Jesus, the next anniversary is 200. I make way too many of these podcasts. See you later on. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast as much as I have. And I would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today, Howden Rural, the new name for A-Plan Rural. If you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector. And it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out Howden Insurance dot co dot uk forward slash rural and i'll see you for the next episode